Logic's retirement, burger record shutdown, and England's social distancing concerts. That's showbiz, baby. Welcome to episode 8 of That Showbiz Baby Podcast, your all things music business and media podcast. I'm your host, Colin McKay, with my co-host, Joseph Wazaleski. Hello. How you doing, Joe? Oh, wow. He's <laughs> on the draw, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I'm here. Hey, I'm if ready. you're on the draw, you want to read out some socials if these people want to know what our schedule, what we're up to, or maybe some updates we're doing to the show. Yeah, for sure. So uh, if you're on Twitter, you can follow us at, at @showbizbabypod. Facebook, Instagram at That Showbiz Baby Podcast, or email us at That Showbiz Baby Podcast at gmail.com in case you guys have questions or any topics you want us to cover. Cool. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I just want to put a warning here for all of our listeners. Uh, we're going to cover a story that has to deal uh, with Burger Records. And Burger Records shut down, and that deals a lot with sexual assault, violence against women, and other general graphic sexual offenses. Uh, we just want to put that warning in here. That's going to be our last story that we're covering. So I will remind you when we get to it saying this is the story about Burger Records that has all of that sexual assault and violence against women and other offenses. I will say that again, just so you guys know. Uh, and that warning will come up again just just to tell y'all. So we're going to start off with our first uh, stuff. And uh, I think we should go straight into something that's been going around that I was researching about, which is about Logic um, and his retirement, hmm. which was I was a little shocked by, and his Twitch deal that is now coming out of everything. Um, so we saw Logic tweet out, uh, officially announcing my retirement with the release of No Pressure, executive produced by No ID, July 24th. Uh, it's been a great decade, and now it's time to be a great father. So he announced his retirement uh, over that tweet, and he is now 30 years old. He's newly married after a finalized divorce, and he has a baby on the way, which makes sense why maybe he wants to get out of the hectic the nature biz, a little bit yeah a little bit yeah. um i mean it's completely understandable uh for people who are interested his career some of his like top points is he's had three number ones on the billboard 200 he's had two top 10 hits on the billboard hot 100 and he's also had a grammy nomination with 1-800-273-8255 i know it's a long name but what a name it, but i mean it, it's about the suicide hotline so it makes sense why yeah. um and it hit number three and it, he actually even performed that song at the grammys so i mean no stretch of knowing that this man has had success and he seems to be leaving right now at a time that's you know a pretty good point in his career you know, he, he, he had that song, what, in 2017 and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. he still has a listener base and stuff like that. And a lot of hype for this album. So, yeah, it seems like, you know, um, I follow logic kind of loosely since, uh, I guess for the past like eight years now or something. And, it, and, you know, every time he was in the news or something, it always seemed like he was, he, he was kind of sick of the music industry in general. Like he didn't get any really like happiness from it it seemed like so, so i i can get into that a little bit because after he announced his retirement over twitter he also has announced his twitch deal um 
and he has a Twitch deal, and he is now Twitch's first official exclusive partnership with a musician, which I thought was very interesting, especially since Joe always talks about Twitch trying to get into the music game, and they have been a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's mostly going to be playing video games from what it says. So this is an article from The Verge. He said... um, that I'm just a nerd and he loves video games. Uh, I'm not this rapper guy, man. <laughs> and uh, he's going to stream weekly, some set numbers uh, of like hours a week, but he assures that he'll easily exceed that. He basically said that, <laughs> I love this, he goes, I'm going to bring new eyes to their service and they're going to bring new money to my bank account. <laughs> and he goes, I'm just kidding. But the Twitch deal is worth seven figures, according yeah. to him. So Dude, he's, props to that, he's man. not lying. Get that uh, bread. Right. Um, he's been an active user of Twitch since about 2015, 2016. Um, he's also just pointed out about his music. He goes, he was pushing himself to kind of insanity with all of this, like, you know, he said he's basically a mu- very much a go-getter and a businessman. Mm-hmm. So he said he was just making himself go crazy because he just wanted more and more and more. And he was trying even harder and harder and harder, which makes sense why he got out, especially with his baby on the way and his new marriage. I mean, you, it's a hard thing to balance if you're that kind of personality. Uh, he did his first live stream yesterday uh, where he live streamed his new album three days earlier uh, than its release. And to kind of, put a little uh, pin on that story. He goes, yeah, this is a new era, but it's like, of course it's a new era, but I'm not gonna, I'm not fooling myself. I'm a musician. I'm always going to be one. I'm still going to like rap on songs that probably won't come out. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, is I kind of, there's a couple artists that do this where they just kind of get done with it. And they just, you have so much money at this point, especially if you're a successful artist who's going on tours and stuff, this, in this day and age. Um, and it's kind of admirable to see somebody say like, I'm going to call it quits almost like in the middle of their career. Yeah. Like while he's ahead. Right. Why it's not like one of these, it's really sad. You know, when you see somebody like drop out when they're like, try their best and everything and they just, you know, get upset with the way the music industry has been and how it's going for them. And maybe their record didn't do so well and they just quit in a fireball. Yeah. But you know, there's a couple artists like logic that have done this where they just get out right at, you know, kind of a midpoint in their career. Uh, and I mean, it's thankfully for a lot of artists, sometimes, uh, you know, they have the option to do that, but thankfully in this story, it's not that he's being forced to, it's not like he has like a drug addiction or like some mm-hmm. other terrible force against him. He's just doing it because he wants to be a good father, which I think is very admirable. Yeah, you know? I, I do too. I, I mean, there's a lot of stress that comes with this industry and the entertainment industry in general, but you know, that's the good thing about streaming is it's not necessarily streaming's kind of, there's still a lot of work that goes into streaming, but oh, it's, 100%. A bit, it's a bit more passive in terms of like, it's almost like podcasting where it's like, as long as you get the right setup at the very beginning or whatever, then you're pretty much set. As long as you just hit record, you're, you're going, you have your yeah, chat you stream. Yeah, you kind of like, I think a lot of times that because he also has the security of a Twitch deal and like just starting out, it's a lot easier for him in terms of like, it's not like he's going to have to, grow a fan base or anything like that people yeah. know who logic is already oh it, they said right he's already gained like thousands and thousands oh yeah of i think the last the time i day. saw he had about eighty thousand like actual followers yeah of, on his twitch and um you know that's i i bet very comforting to him to be like well i can just you know 
instead of having to, you know, put all these bells and whistles together for a show or, you know, my rap career and stuff. He was like, I can just relax and be myself yeah. and try and to be a natural, yeah. And be a, like a natural entertainer as opposed to like having, you know, got to get the outfit on. We got to get, you know, maybe some work to with the lighting check. people, we you know, like <laughs> hire a bunch of crew and, you know, and then, uh, you know, to cut out all the traveling is just such yeah. a relief. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I went on my first tour this year and let me tell you it's definitely i definitely wasn't on a tour where you're in like a, a van you know like traveling cross country or whatever mm-hmm. like i call that like almost like real touring because it's like legit like hardcore touring at that point where you're like sleeping in the van you get out of your gear you have to do load and load out yourself um but even uh the little bit i did travel which wasn't really a lot in comparison to a lot of other tours it was very draining sometimes you mm-hmm. know You'd get back at like the weirdest times. You get back at like four a.m. Sometimes, you know. <laughs> what are you gonna do? You... Go to sleep? Oh, oh wow! Yeah. The thunder's getting real <laughs> yeah. here, people. Just adds up. We're we're recording this in the middle of a thunderstorm, so if the power goes out, peace. Yeah, peace. This going to be take two. But um, yeah, I mean, it's super. It's su- it's so much work to do that, and uh, I mean, I just think it's like a very good example for the music industry to see someone that's like okay. I've accepted that I've done what I wanted to do and I'm going to prioritize my family, you know, or something really just something that's positive. Like he's not going out like in a ball of fire is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I think the Twitch deal is very interesting because logic has already like kind of shown in a lot of things that he's very into video games and other stuff like that. He had a whole concept album of, video games right, right. The last Some, one, I think, yeah i can't remember exactly but like he's his audience is super into video games so he's like one of those perfect like crossovers of it mm-hmm. um i see you know i i see it as like he it is it is a big deal that it is twitch's first official partnership with a musician but i feel like when people read that they think it would be like oh this guy's gonna come out on the stream and start rapping and it's like no no no, no. he's still doing twitch regular gaming stuff yeah so like but it seems like too they're doing like a mix right it's like it's twitch gaming but also he might do so like a kenny Beats they've been situation. they've been really marketing especially with the coronavirus with all these musicians like live streams and stuff like that of musicians playing and, and stuff mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see if we you know return to some form of normal concerts how that will stay on twitch or not but they have been kind of in that market of like oh this is a market that people want especially when there's a need because people can't see people live uh, you know in front of their faces so they go let's go you know watch it on our screens whatever one of choice on twitch so it's going to be very interesting to see if maybe twitch kind of leans into maybe signing some artists and stuff like that although we've kind of talked about this before is like I feel like once you have Rhaegar concerts again, it's going to be a hard sell unless you're kind of doing something very um, unique in terms of like maybe improvisation or like, uh, you know. Well, I think that's the appeal of like, I I know this is like the only person I'm mentioning because he's honestly the only like true music streamer, but like Kenny Beats, he invites, you know, rappers to come to his place and they make a beat and they improv and they make a song basically in like a time frame. Right. And so like a production element like that, I think adds a lot. And I think everyone who's like watching and listening to it, they have like a stake in what the product is. Right. I think, I think, I think you hit it right on the nail. That is like an interesting concept. That's not 
in a ri- like I couldn't imagine, you know, I don't see like someone just with an acoustic guitar being like, I'm going through my album, like making it huge on Twitch. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's like an interesting and there's got to be like an interaction part of it that is very, very, very like key to live streams. And I feel like when you have that improv is like improv nature of it, like the, uh, the ability to have like requests and talk to the audience and stuff instead of like we're performing a set because you know like when you perform a set at a venue it's very much like sit down be quiet this guy's going to perform mm-hmm. it's like less about interacting with the artists or you know artists and audience so i you know i think this is like a good deal but i think that i it's going to be interesting to see if some other music stuff can get on here um I mean, we've seen it on like Instagram Live, but again, that's like a completely different demo and market. Yeah, and, and stuff like honestly, that. a lot of longevity doesn't really exist on like the social media aspect of of those live things. So, like Facebook Live or Instagram Live. I mean, how long have you sat there and watched like a full live stream? Right, like four. You know, I'm not gonna. I I would watch. You know, and this is just because I like video games. Maybe I watch somebody play video games for a while, but I wouldn't like watch somebody be like. Yeah, but would you? Okay, do that on here's Instagram? my. F- what do you mean on Instagram? Yeah, like if that was on Instagram, would you do that on Instagram? No, because it's a different market. Yeah, you know? and Instagram's supposed to be instant, right? It's supposed to be fast-paced social media. So that's why I like for me, I feel like Twitch. It's like, oh, I'm sitting down to watch a Twitch account, right? The, like Instagram Live, I feel like is a sideshow. Um, you can you can do that. Um, sorry, <laughs> our, our cat, cat is, is losing it with the thunder. Um, all Enjoy right. all the weird noises of this. Yeah, one. this is. A, I'm gonna add some like foley sound effects, maybe like a rainforest sound <laughs> or like a, you know. Some, we have like, to have screaming. the sampling pad, like the radio sampling. Yeah, pad. I'm just gonna welcome to the baby. You know. Okay. That's what they do, dude. That's what they do. That's what they do on radio. Anyway, moving on to in real life stuff instead of stupid radio sound effects, which I know most of our audience comes for. Um, we have England is going to allow indoor concerts starting next month, August, 2020, which seems like if you're an American, you're like, hello, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like what? Um, but yeah, it's a very different situation there. So, a lot of uh, artists are going to be heading over there. Soon. <laughs> right. So Boris Johnson said audiences who adhere to social distancing can return to indoor theaters, music and performance venues beginning August 1st. And this was announced on July 17th. Uh, this was part of the fourth stage of the five stages of reopening the, the country of England. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, it seems like way further than the U.S. in terms of four out of five. And most places that I know are at like two <laughs> in the United States. Um, so this announcement doesn't impact, though, and this is kind of important. It doesn't impact Scotland, Wales or Northern Ireland uh, because those are dictated by national administrations. So like the U.K. as opposed to like the England government, um, which I thought was interesting is that in the lead up to the start date in August, the Department of Digital Culture, M- Culture, Media, and Sport will conduct pilots of performances with social distance audience, including the London Symphony Orchestra. Hmm. Um, and they're going to use these findings they find to inform final guidance for venues. So they're interesting. Gonna, yeah, so they're going to use it like as a pilot program to figure out like is this how can we limit the virus in a way but also, you know, still have a traditional concert and having people here. Yeah. Uh the announcement notes that audiences, performers and venues will be expected to maintain social distancing at all times with measures to re- 
to include reduced capacity, online ticket purchases to reduce person-to-person contact, social distancing markers, increase deep cleaning measures, staggered performance schedules, and maintaining social distance between performers when possible. Um, so That's going to be hard in smaller venues. Yeah, so this is kind of where I'm interested about this piloting that they're trying to do. Like maybe for like a concert hall, it's easier because you have multiple lever- like see, layers of. That's also where I kind of like I could see how it's easier, but is it economically viable? Exactly. Yeah, because like if you're not selling out, right? If you're going to a if you're going to a show, right? And let's they're say, probably going to upcharge tickets. Is I, what I I would assume they would have to, you know, because yeah. like okay, if we go to a smaller club, then it's harder to social distance in general makes sense mm-hmm. but and that would be harder to just be open but if we go to a larger venue then it's like well the costs are all up because of the bigger venue and more staff and stuff like that and so you're going to need to sell more tickets in general but then at the same time you have to keep social distancing and then you're probably going to have to have additional staff there in charge of cleaning and like actually making sure people are separated from each other and stuff like that. So it's going to be interesting what the department figures out is kind of like the go-tos for guidance, you know, Mm -hmm. because that's another thing that we haven't talked about is like, okay, let's say we start opening up, right? Imagine, you know, obviously the UK and the European union is a very different place to run a gig than the United States in terms of laws and like regulations and stuff like that. But like, wouldn't it it'd be so strange if you were like, okay, we have to keep in mind in this place that this is the rules for social distancing. Like let's say you're booking a show, but in the next place, it's really hard to do that same social distancing there because they have even stricter regulations. So like, can you imagine a tour trying to every country has their own, yeah, has their own little parameters. And so like, it would be hard, but I think, you know, a lot of teams would be willing to do it if the money was good enough. You know what I mean? (laughs) If the money was there too. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, there you have to deal, especially with international tour, because I guess in, in our perspective, and I guess there too, because there's so many countries that are like squashed together, you know, in Europe, that right. are like you're going to you're going to deal with different regulation anyway, um, when you're doing like an international tour like that. So I'm assuming it would just be something else added to the checklist that the pre like the the pre-production department or uh, something would handle like the touring manager would definitely like make sure to make a list of like all that stuff and just make sure they're on top of it. Right. Um, but I'm interested to see if this does happen um, and they open these venues up and stuff, how many uh, American artists are going to flood it to how Europe? would, how would they come over there? Yeah, yeah. Cause you know, you know that they would try, but we have the, the flight restrictions. Yeah. We right have now. travel restrictions and stuff like that. So you probably have to do at least some form of, you know, uh, specialized like two week period where you can't do anything, you know? Yeah. Um, so that would be, you know, like I, I hope, you know, that the country is in a place that they can do this, like without any health risks. I mean, they're in stage four, so I hope they're being run well and everything. But at the same time, I, it's going to be very much an uphill battle to try to figure out how to like 
balance maintaining people. And then you have to think about all this. You do all of this work. Like you have to say that, like you got to stay this far apart from a person. You got to buy your tickets online. You got to, you know, wear a mask the entire time you're there. You got to make sure that like you go to your seat directly. You can't go to the bathroom maybe as often because we got to clean it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Are people going to want to pay for that? You know, necessarily Some people will though. Right. But like, I mean, there's a breaking to, point in tickets. Yeah, the, but people are willing to pay for Garth. <laughs> you know, like it depends on who's who's on the bill. I know, but like, let's think about it like this. We, you were saying before that the ticket prices would probably have to go up because of the, you know, extra I mean, cost. Yeah, the extra cost of cleaning. There's and, gonna like obviously it's gonna be interesting to see what that sweet point is. Also, depending on the demographics that you go, because there I. I assume obviously in any market, there's going to be a breaking point of this is too much money for the downgrade and experience that yeah. this is. Yeah. So like, I'm curious of like, if they, you know, have to go and say, this is going to be like, I don't know, 70% more expensive than it was before because we have to do this or something that if people are going to go, yeah, we haven't seen a concert in a while and we can deal with it. And you know, we are comfortable with going to a concert and paying that much. Yeah. Well, and another thing too is, um, how long are these going to be stay open? Because I mean, there, there are already cases in Europe coming back again, increases in cases and stuff like that Mm -hmm. in like France and stuff. And so it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, maybe we can get like a month (laughs) out of this, but is this going to last forever? You know, we don't know who knows, you know, and that's kind of the thing. And I, I kind of hit on the last part is that even if we go through the price stuff and we like, we say you would want to pay this much money and we do all of this regulations and stuff like that in the venue and it's perfect or whatever, it's also going to come down to if the public is comfortable with going to venues, you know what I mean? If they're comfortable to literally go into a mass gathering, even though if that mass gathering is limited by rules. You know, yeah. because that's the thing we haven't figured out yet is that, you know, before the pandemic, everyone was concert crazy. Everybody was like spending so much money on concerts, going to concerts and stuff like that is, you know, because of the virus existing, is that going to tamper a lot of people feeling like I'm not going to feel comfortable going to a concert for a long time? You know, I mean, it might for some, I, I think older people for sure. Maybe. I, yeah. You know. Um, I think younger people, not so much because honestly, our age demographic is one of the highest in the U S at least right now, right. Um, in terms of infections and spreading, but, um, and I think it's been that way since the beginning. I just think in terms of younger people getting testing, I think there's more younger people getting testing now than there were at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have a, I don't, this might not be true at all. Um, but I have a hypothesis that we had way more people our age infected at the beginning that just were asymptomatic and just didn't go get tested. Yeah, know? that could be a thing. Um, but uh, now that we've made it an effort to get more testing done and testing is available now, um, it's a big deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, it comes back to like the studios things too, right? Um, for the last episode where we talked about um, how, you know, each studio has a different set of regulations and rules. Um, that's a little different cause you're not going to a different studio every day. Right. But, um, it's still one of those things where it's like every, every venue is going to be different. Every studio is going to be different. 
It really depends. And then even some of these bigger venues, you know, their back rooms or green rooms and stuff are tiny. Yeah, we haven't even talked about that either. Is like you could have regulations for like, let's say if you're in the United States, the state has regulation and so does the federal government have a regulation. But there might be some venues that try to even go more hardcore in an effort to be different from other venues you know, or do the bare minimum of the regulations. So like you're, you brought up another good point, which is that, you know, obviously we have different regulations like in Europe from country to country or the United States state to state, but we didn't even talk about what if this venue just goes, nah, we're going to make it as bare bones as possible under the law. And so we can be open. But I could also see the, the other thing where the, you know, somebody's advertising and going, I think you should come to our venue because we even stress more about the cleaning. Yeah, exactly. You know? So it's one of the, it's, you know, to the consumer, it might get confusing too. And then it might even be like, well, am I safe here? Am I not safe here? Who knows? Right. Uh, maybe I won't even go, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe uh, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, the, the rest of the world, especially compared to the United States is beating us in terms of opening up again in term in less, you know, in a safer environment. So they're going to be kind of like the test for to a lot see of if things. It comes back. But you know, the other thing is you have to think Europe versus America is a very different market. So there's other rules that could be applied that don't apply to America. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's going to be a weird period, but we're going to figure it out. And England's going to open the door for us first. Yeah. Um, well, not to the U S but in, they're not going to open the, the door for us to go there. <laughs> yeah. They said, Nope. <laughs> right. Um, all right. I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah. I don't blame them either. Um, all right. We got Ju- juice world on here. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting chart information. So juice world's legends never Die debuted at number one. Wow. <laughs> on billboard 200, which was the biggest week of 2020 in terms of album sales. Um, so they, literally 2020 this is the biggest album in 2020 so far and it's earned an equivalent 497,000 equivalent album units uh in the week of july 16th according to nielsen which i also thought was interesting is this album is also the fourth largest streaming week for an album ever yeah um also, uh, juice world's uh second number one since death race for love which opened a which opened at, uh, n- yeah, sorry, number one, and then was on the chart on March 23rd, 2019, with 165,000 units earned. Uh, this is the first release also since Juice World's death on December 8th, 2019. Uh, so let me break you down about these album units. It sold 497,000 units. 283,000 of them are in SEA units, which basically means that it was streamed 422.63 million times on on-demand streaming of the tracks on the album. Um, Mm. Then you have 209,000 in album sales. And then more importantly, which relates to our last topic, this was supported largely by 100 merchandise slash album bundle offers. Wow. So that's remember when we were talking about that. (laughs) Now it probably wouldn't be considered... Right. It may or the, once it kicks yeah, out. Yeah, on our you know, on the last podcast we were talking about uh merch album bundles and this maybe would not be the biggest album of 2020 without is that it, merch album bundle. Is it bundling so okay, the regulations, uh was it bundling merch in general or was it just for concerts? 
Bundling it was bundling merch. merch, if you remember. So like okay, you, so, so you both, have to basically, basically the rules are, is that if you are selling a shirt and before you go, you also get this album and then basically they go, cool, $20 for a shirt and an album that, and then they could mark that as an album sale. Yeah. Now what they have to do is they go, okay, the shirt is really $15 and for an additional five, you can get, you can album. get an album. So like, you have to say that. But again, that rule hasn't come into effect and won't come into effect until October. So the people still have a while. So people are really are probably going to bundle the hell up until <laughs> yeah. uh, the end of that. Uh, we also have the last 3,000 in track equivalent albums, which basically means somebody buys it digitally, uh, the album. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, the merchandise album bundles are important still, uh, which... This gets to even so we get to that like we were talking about, but then the even weirder thing is that Juice World following Pop Smoke at number one, which was last week, is the first time two acts have gone back to back at number one with posthumous releases. <laughs> it's also the first time that the top two on the tally are occupied by pos posthumously released albums. So the people on top of the billboard right now are people that aren't alive. Yeah. Which is interesting. Um and kind of like it happens all the time in the music industry is like when someone, you know, recently has died and then yeah, their album, stream the crap out of them, the people stream the crap out of them. So he, I bet you, okay, let's, let's do a timeline here. He came and died sadly on December, 2019. Mm -hmm. So he had a spike in streams and then there was this album that was rumored to, you know, come out. And so these people are already hyped because they listen to the, all his music and they want more. And then, you know, now seven months later, here it is, all the hype's over and, you know, you get this huge bump in album sales. Yeah. Which I, mean, I guess means the hype really wasn't over. It was just kind of under. Well, you know, it was waiting Yeah, because like, obviously you can't give people, you know, it, it would be like uh if you gave somebody like an album and you're like, this is the best album ever. And they're like, yes, I love it. They're not going to listen to it for seven straight months, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, they're going to remember like, Oh man, I remember when that guy died. I remember, you know, I really liked his music after I looked it up after he died. Maybe I didn't know who he was. Maybe I was already a super fan and really liked it. So I was really listening to it even more after he died. Um, and so now that he's back with his first release since his death, I'm going to listen to it and maybe, you know, I could see people also just buying it because he's already dead. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because people you, want to support it, maybe his family and other stuff like that. Okay. I was about to say like, what, what do you think people are, think they're supporting when they're, they're doing that? Um, I, okay. Do you think that they're supporting the family or do you think it's almost like a tribute to him? So I'm going to go with that route. I think when people listen to this record and they think, I think people think of it as like more of an, almost like a historical piece in the terms of like, this is really important because this guy had his life cut and now I want to honor his legacy by listening to this. And, you know, maybe if I was even more of a casual listener, I would be like, I've heard of this guy and I remember he died seven months ago. So I should listen to this, mm -hmm. you know, and see why everyone was losing their minds. You know what I mean? About the, about juice world. Cause juice world had a lot of, you know, he was number one before. So it's not like nobody knew who he was. So like, yeah. Um, I mean, he, he was 
like getting his career started. Right. He was like, that's the, he was literally popping off. Yeah. And that's also part of it too. I think because like, unlike a Prince or a Tom Petty, this was somebody cut in their prime, Mm -hmm. which is a very different effect on the people that listen to them as opposed to like an artist that has died from old age over time or even someone that's out of their prime, you know? So like, I think that, it's even almost like a doubling of that effect that people are like, this man was cut down in his prime. I was listening to him before it, you know, we could have heard so much more. And then they're like, we have this album coming that's going to debut. And people are like, yeah, we have to listen to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but I mean, it, it's definitely interesting. I would, I'm very interested to think about like how this album do you, if this album would have been the top 2020 week if he was still alive that and if the bundles were already taken off yeah um, true because um those are both good questions obviously the one about him being alive i don't know i mean we don't know what hypothetical marketing they could have done to make him you know I, all I, the way to the top i'd this, say he i would be safe to assume it would probably hit a number one mark i think so too since he yeah. had a previous number one and he's got a lot of backing um and like but maybe maybe to not this level maybe also uh, 2020 is a very weird year in terms true. of streaming so i feel like a lot of people are saving albums and stuff like that that's the other thing a lot of people are saving albums he might have saved this album if he was still alive you know what i mean and so he could release it and then go on tour you know what i mean are you saying saving albums in terms of like waiting to release waiting yeah because we've seen that before like i was talking about with you know lady gaga did it for a while and then like a bunch of other artists rihanna did it for a while okay so side sidebar Mm -hmm. do you think that's a smart move because i don't think it is okay so here's here's can i can i give you my reason why i don't i don't think it is okay just to just to make sure you are going on the route that it's a dumb decision to save your album because of the corona pandemic and the lack of concerts it's not a smart decision i don't think it's necessarily dumb i just don't think it's it's i don't think it's necessarily a a good thing you know what i mean like i think you can get away with releasing it and i think creating as much music as possible during this time and releasing it will actually help your brand in terms of an art, so, like in artistry. I I kind of agree with you. I think that you have to relate it almost like two different things. Uh, I think both moves are different moves that have their own value, but in different ways. If we go to, we're going to release an album. All right. No, we're not. The coronavirus is coming. We want to save the album. And so we can release it closer to when concert venues and stuff are opening up. And so then we can go on tour and make a lot of money on the ticket sales and the merch. Yeah. That's a very straight up way to think about it. And I feel like if you are a record company, it makes sense to do that because you're losing so much money right now that like if you have a huge artist that's still huge and you think they're still going to be huge after we get to some form of normal concert, you know, going then I think I can see why, because you can go to investors and go, hey, 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 don't sell our stock. Remember, we have these albums in the wings, and when they release, when everyone's really hype, you know, to go to concerts regularly again, it's going to be huge. Yeah. So I get it from that perspective. On your perspective, I also get it, because I could see if you were an artist that maybe isn't always in the forefront or anything like that all the time, or maybe just, you know, anyone that's basically not number one all the time. And you 
you know, have this album and you're like, I don't want to say this album. And you basically rep that to marketing Mm -hmm. because you have a moment in time that's very special in the history of people's lives to be like, oh yeah, I will always remember this album because it came out because no other albums really coming out all the time. Yeah. And this is a very important time in history with the coronavirus and stuff. So I will always remember whenever the coronavirus comes up or whatever and anything like that, I will think about, Oh yeah, that album came out. And I remember I was very happy with it Mm -hmm. because they brought, you know, some joy into the joyless world that is the coronavirus. (laughs) Yeah, for real. So like that's, that's the other thing. I think it's genre dependent. I think it is genre dependent. I think, I think honestly, I think it depends on where your, where your standing is and who owns your records, because I think it depends on if you're owned by a record label, I guarantee you they're going to shelf it. They're going to try to shelf it. They're going to try to get as much money out of it as possible. Because they want to save it because they're losing so much money now without having, you know, all these 360 deals going into effects and stuff like that. And so I bet you money. I, in this case, I think they released it because they didn't want to lose the hype and they saw the the hole that was there to fill. Yeah, I mean, he's not going on tour, so... Right, well, he's not going on tour, obviously, but then, like, you kind of have a... It said, I'm not... You know, this guy died in a tragic way in terms of, you know, overdosing and stuff like that, so I want to make that clear. Was but it an like, overdose or a seizure? Uh, I think he... I think he died from a overdose related to a seizure. Like it was kind of like a combination. I remember he just died tragically on the tarmac. I remember he, I've heard people have like, he swallowed a bottle of pills or something. And then that caused a seizure or he just had a regular seizure. Either way, I think he died tragically and that's not right. But if I think about it in a business sense, if you take your hat off from that, the clock starts ticking after he died in terms of his relevancy in music. And he has an uptick, and then it's going to go down. Mm-hmm. And the only way to bring it back and to make money off of it is to have another release. Have another release. And so that's kind of why I think they did this is because they went, all right, the hype for this man, it's been seven months. Even if you're the most diehard fan, I don't think you've been listening to this guy for seven months straight. I think this is a good period that if you were equated with him and you guys know who he is because he died in a recent amount of time we can release this and make a a pretty good amount of money off of it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I mean, they did all merch and they got all those merch and album sales. That's a lot of profit, you know, especially in merch. Um, and then you have your regular streaming stuff, which is, you know, profit, but not as crazy as the merch stuff, um, in terms of like money. But, you know, I mean, I think it's very, it's a very interesting situation and you're going to have to come up with yourself. If you think this is kind of like, immoral to almost capitalize on the timing of his death afterwards well, or I, not yeah and, i remember when david bowie died um and who's he signed with is it is it rca that, it's one of the old schools yeah, I something um but uh i remember they were putting out a new david bowie album i think it's black star is, is it, it black star yeah i thought he actually made that and knew he was gonna die and then released it but uh, i think it was the one after that um and and there was like some sort of secret record or something, right? That he hadn't finished, and uh, the label said that they were putting him out, um, and that you know they were gonna they were gonna market the the record and stuff like that. And a lot of people came back and said, "Well, I mean, if he didn't want it released in the first place, then why are we releasing it now?" Right. And then is this a completed product? Most likely not. It's probably not a completed song. 
Uh, I mean, it's the same thing with the Michael Jackson and Michael Jackson. JT song. Yeah, you got Michael Jackson. The, you got a Prince situation. You got like yeah. this always happens when someone dies. There's a huge thing about like what the estate wants, what the artist wanted, and what the record label wants. Yeah, and you know, usually, sadly, in a lot of a lot of times, what happens and what wins is that the record label goes, "Hey, to the estate, you can make a lot of money off of this," and, the and then they like, just go, "Yeah," sweet. and so. Yeah. That's kind of like what happens. I mean, Bob Marley too. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, it's a sad situation, but you have to think about it from like a, from like that marketing standpoint. I mean, it's a smart plan from a marketing standpoint. Yeah. I mean, this is where they're going to make the most of their money. Unfortunately, the artist is never going to see this. Um, And, you know, I hope that his deal is great. And like a lot of this money goes to like, his estate and like his family who hopefully took care of him or goes to wherever he wanted it to go. Yeah. But at the same time, he was a new artist when he died. So his deal might, yeah, his deal might be terrible. Yeah. Um, We don't know. So we we don't know. Um, God, it's, it's definitely, we could talk about that. We should go in a deep dive on that. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely a bummer, but like, I mean, he's, you know, if you want to say one thing at the end of this, I mean, definitely people remember who he is. I mean, he's a number one. He's the biggest week of 2020. He literally, in this terrible time, is bringing a lot of hope and happiness to a lot of people right now who are in a bad place. Yeah. So, you know, at least we can have solace in that. True. Um, but, yeah, okay. Here, Here's our trigger warning again. Uh, we're going to talk about Burger Records. It has a lot of sexual misconduct, uh, violence against women, and a lot of graphic uh, words involved with it. It's kind of an important story, but we just want to give that trigger warning to y'all in case you guys don't, you know, want to hear that or anything like that. Uh, But yeah, uh, Joe mostly has researched this. I don't know that much about it. I researched the three other topics mostly, so I'm excited Mm -hmm. Uh, to hear what's going down because as joe keeps saying it is definitely a lot so So, um it's been a developing story for the past couple of days um but this week burger records uh has been accused of rampant sexual misconduct uh within both the band and executive branches of the of the label and it's been labeled the breeding ground for predatory behavior uh some of the bands who have faced these allegations include the growlers uh, the Buttertones, Swimmers, Cosmonauts, and, uh, and many more off the, the label. Um, most of the allegations came from an Instagram account called Lured by Burger Records, where many of the posts recount situations in which underage girls were invited to the back room of Burger Records' physical store location in Fullerton, uh, um, California, and they were preyed upon by older men who associated with the label. Oh, God. Um, yeah, but that's... That's just the tip. Like, there's, like, it gets worse. All right, let's let's keep yeah. Moving. Um. So, in light of these allegations, the label's response was for co-founder Sean Borman to move into a transitional role, while another co-founder, Lee Rictar, uh, Rickard, um, Ricard, yeah, would step down as uh, Jessa Zapper Gray would become interim uh, label president during the transition period. Um, the label stated that they would change the name from Burger Records to Burger Rex, um, which is, it's just a bunch of gibberish. Just take the vowels out of Burger. um, While also adding, uh, an all woman imprint called Burgerl. This was met with swift criticism (laughs) (laughs) from the music community as many called the label out for saving face, as well as stating that creating separate spaces 
doesn't solve the problems, educate members of the label, or benefit the victims. Upon the second wave of bash, backlash, Justice Zappa Gray put out a statement saying that she turned down the position uh, at the label and announced that it would completely shut down. Um, so I'm going to read her current statement so wait, here. This is the person that stepped up to be the... Like, well, they asked her to. Okay, she stepped up to I run the label. She waited, and literally the next day when they announced it, people were going nuts. Okay, cool. What is she saying? Um, so she said... When I was asked to take over the, uh, in this capacity, I expected some blowback from my decision to accept, but I believed that the opportunity to have a role in affecting real and lasting positive change within the burger and industry music scenes uh, was worth the risk. Upon further review, I have informed Burger Records that I no longer believe it will be able to achieve my intended goals in assuming the leadership role at Burger in the current climate. Therefore, I have decided to step away from the label entirely to focus on my other projects. Uh, Reached for comment by Pitchfork, Borman, one of the co-founders, stated that they had decided to fold the label. And after asked if the new name was on the table, he replied, nope. And then responded to follow-ups with a video of Porky Pig saying, that's all, folks. God, why can't people you just be straightforward? You cannot make this shit up. I'm, I swear to God. <laughs> Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> All Burger Records social media accounts have been deactivated and their web store has been cleared. Borman also stated that Burger's di- uh, digital releases would be pulled from streaming services. Um, and Borman confirmed that since there would be no formal agreements with the bands, there were there were no formal agreements with the bands, any former Burger artist would be able to re-upload their music to streamers at their will stating, I hate dealing with lawyers, so we never signed contracts with the bands. Which is, okay, I just want to point that out. That's a huge red flag. Yeah. (laughs) That is a giant red flag if you're with a label. But uh, let's keep going. So um, that's kind of the situation at the moment in terms of the label. Um, So the band allegations. Oh, no. um, And this is very triggering. uh, So if you do not want to listen, uh, then you feel free to, to turn us off. But... Um, from the Growlers, uh, allegations of the band came out on Twitter last week. User Bubblegum Splash saying that um, a friend was asked to take her shirt off during an interview with the band in their SoCal recording studio. Another accuser stated that when I was 15, they asked me to show my tits to get into a show for free. Another poster who was anonymous claimed that the Growlers guitarist Matt Taylor raped her twice. One night we were one night we were making out and he was taking off my clothes. I firmly said I didn't want to have sex without a condom. Neither neither of us had one. He ignored what I said, took his pants off and slipped inside of me while on top of me. During the sexual uh, during the second encounter, the woman said that during consensual sex, Taylor took off the condom uh, against her wishes. Uh, she added that whenever I would see Matt. Uh, out after he would slap my ass out of nowhere solicit for nudes ask me to flash him and treat me like he owned my body because of our encounter the growlers former drummer scott montoya was also accused of predatory behavior montoya said that he was not allowed to publicly discuss his time with the band Uh, frontman brooks nielsen also claims that he touched a uh, also has claims that he touched a female journalist on her breast during an interview 10 years ago and denied this claim uh, as well as other claims against Matt Taylor and uh, some of the band. Whew. Yeah. All right. Um, okay, next band, Swimmers. 
Lydia Knight, singer of The Regrets, has accused Swimmer's drummer Joey Armstrong, who is the son of Green Day frontman Billy Joe Armstrong, of sexual misconduct, grooming, and other predatory behavior. Knight uh, recounted her two-year relationship with Armstrong that began when he was 22 and she was 16. She described herself as a victim of emotional abuse and sexual coercion by someone in a position of power over me. She went on to state that uh, Armstrong would continually ask for her to keep their relationship quiet and had many conversations stating that he didn't want to have sex with her until she was 18, but he would act in contradicting ways by pressuring her into sexual situations. According to Knight, fellow members of Swimmers knew their relationship with Armstrong and following their breakup, the band and their fans engaged in cyberbullying. Um, a lot of the statement, the full statements of these victims, too, we will put um, in the description if you would like to read them. Um, so the band Cosmonauts. Alexander Amadi uh, of Cosmonauts is accused of assaulting an unconscious girl at a party. A poster wrote that Alex assaulted a friend of mine. She was passing out in a friend's room at a party and he came in the room. She told them to leave and that she just wanted to sleep and he would sleep too and promised not to try anything. A little while later, she woke up to him on top of her with his penis out. This had deeply traumatized her. Lured by Burger Records uh, corroborated this story, saying that uh, the women in it uh, happened to confirm the story with them. Uh, social media users also pointed out that in 2014, a cassette sleeve by the band contained um, a quote, You'll Never Be As Cute As A Teenage Girl by Bobby May. Cosmonauts released a statement saying that they totally regret the line about attractiveness of teens and added that we didn't realize at the time what implications could be drawn from that quote. It's a deeply problematic quote, and we apologize for any hurt that has caused. What do you mean you didn't? Okay, I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> keep going. In a follow-up statement, that uh, the band said that its former bassist, James Sanderson, was kicked out of the band due to predatory behavior. The band also said that it was attempting to get into contact with Lourdes by Burger Records to open a dialogue and would make a personal statement as soon as possible, but the band has not responded to any comments from Consequence of Sound or any other mediums. The Buttertones. Cherry Glazer, frontwoman of Clementine, or, uh, yeah, Clementine Creevy, accused Sean Redman of the band of statutory rape and abuse. Creevy said Redman started a relationship with her when she was 14 and he was 20, that he gave her HPV after coercing her into having unprotected sex. An anonymous poster to Lord by Burger Records said that she had the most uncomfortable and horrified and humiliated sexual experience with the Buttertones singer and guitarist Richard Ariza. However, she said that she wasn't 100% sure if it was sexual assault. In response, LA-based label Innovative Leisure announced that it would be dropping the band effective immediately. The Frights. Frontwoman, uh, front, not frontwoman, frontman Mickey uh, Carnival has been accused of sexual misconduct and has co since cooperated with his accuser named Claire and together made a joint statement on Instagram. Though I should not have assumed, I was unaware that she was underage at the time. I definitely should have asked. Carnival's message read, as a young adult, I was arrogantly exploring my sexuality before thinking. It is inexcusable, and I need everyone to know that it was not worth overlooking. 
Members of bands including Audacity, Part-Time, and The Abigails have been accused of misconduct, and the representatives have not commented on the situation. All right. Well, so that was a that was a lot. Yeah, that um, was a lot. Um, but and all what, these bands are under this label. Yeah. So it okay. seemed like uh, Burger Records kind of acted more in a distributing role somewhat rather than a full-on record label it seems like they have um but they did have like big artists on it yeah. i mean the growlers was probably their biggest band and swimmers too it seems like they have it, it says a physical store and yeah. some sort of studio from what i'm reading yeah um okay so like yeah i mean they're so what's what's truly um disappointing uh, to see, and I and I think we need to talk about this, and I, I've talked about this with people before uh, right. off mic, um, but it's the fact that these are indie bands, and uh, in terms of our, like the indie genre, it's considered a very woke and part progressive of genre. Progressive yeah. woke genre. Um, and I think what this proves is that, you know, no matter what genre you're in, you can still be a victim Uh you can, you can still like these things still happen and they happen all the time. Um, and it's disappointing, especially with some of the hypocrisy of, uh, some of the bands that, um, you know, these things come out. Right. I think personally, I mean, the perfect example in like sentence of this is breeding ground. Yeah. I mean, it was even how the executives handled the press. Yeah. It shows you how much, they do not so, care. So the thing with this is like, I mean, this is definitely a cause, you know, obviously one burger records is either a, I mean, first, first off these, these people are all like who are accused and stuff like that are very young. So either they're signing them up and they know they have some sexual problems already because usually with people like this, you can, you, you can you, tell there's some, you know, cracks in the, window and so like there's either that or two even if they're not you know some of these bands sexual predators when they get signed here they've created an atmosphere that shows that it's okay yeah you know every other band on here has like an allegation of it and so like you know you're like hey man i know you're on the label or whatever and they go to a party or something and they see this shit go down they're like oh i guess this is just how it is you know we just get to do this yeah exactly entitlement you know not only that but um just the fact that a lot of the stories are very similar to each other in it's terms always of a like, lot of the girls were underage, significantly underage. Right. A lot um, of these are at least, you know, seven to eight year differences. Yeah. And uh, not only that, but in terms of, uh, you know, that being the case, how some of the bands are respond, uh, responded to the situations and stuff like that. And then even the label itself um, with the whole like back room situation and stuff, it, definitely shows that the label condoned it they even supported it right i mean i'm i'm sure it would not surprise me if we come out with like a direct piece of evidence that shows the label you know actually condoning it it would not surprise me at all but at the very least right now even if we don't have that yet it it's very evident that they're allowing this to happen you know they're you know and that's kind of the worst part about it is like they've clearly created an environment that allows these people, 
you know, to either a learn to do this to women and B to get away with it, you know, and face nothing for it. Yeah. I mean, literally like you've, you read out so many bands that it's just, it's, well, it's kind of yeah. hard to even be like, Oh, this is, you know, you can't just be, you can't just be like, Oh, this is a one thing case. So I was like, no, you're making an environment it's, for this. It's the whole label. Right. Basically. Um, and I will say, uh, I advise, uh, our listeners um, to go and read the statements individually from each of the victims um, because it is even, I, I didn't leave stuff out intentionally, but right. there's just there's so, so much. much. Um, and some of the stories are absolutely horrifying. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing is like, it's just hard to, you know, I, I get it. I mean, if there was like one case of it and, you know, something like that, like there may be a discussion here. This isn't a discussion point. There is a problem, yeah, a prevalent problem happening with this label, and like, and, and the no response, rebranding is going to save it. You yeah, know? see, they were more concerned over the rebranding than they were about supporting the victims. So I personally, I, I got a question for you. Do you know if like all of this evidence, kind of like that you listed, was there before the statement came out? Or like, what do you mean? Like, before so here's the, what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, this is what I'm trying to figure out. If the first story broke and then they went, "We're so sorry, we're going to rebrand," and they clearly had to know about the other things, or was it like all of this came out, all of this giant evidence, and somehow in their right mind they thought we can live through this with a rebrand. Most of the evidence came out. This okay. Time. Then they're even more crazy than I thought. Yeah. So like, uh, from what I've seen, it's all of, all of the allegations and stuff center from that lured by burger records, um, Instagram account, which we will link in the description. Um, and it just, it basically lists every band. Right. That, um, did it. And like the victim statements, and then you can find the victim statements, Instagrams, and stuff like that. And okay, so like, yeah, that's that's but, the thing that I just find in, insane. It's well, like, and notice how because this story broke like only a, like from when we are recording only a couple of days ago, and they came out with this plan the next day. Okay, which makes me think that they knew about something was going down yeah they had to have known something and to get they were this like together. crap we need to get our shit together and rebrand before this hits and so they came out with all these new names and they were like there that'll solve it but it didn't do anything you know obviously people weren't you know yeah I and, mean, and and another thing uh, you know in terms of the the artists that are probably on this label that didn't do anything wrong um, I feel sorry for them and having to juggle with uh, their streaming getting taken down. Oh, yeah, their streaming getting taken down. Even you're not some of those uh, streams. I don't know where they're going to go because even if you re-upload, I don't know if you, it starts from scratch or if it's just like yeah. And that's the weird part about this. I mean, like I obviously there's like I was saying there's and like they said in the article, it's like there's definitely a breeding ground here. So this is definitely there's a bunch of bands doing it. But I can't cast doubt on like every single act that was in here that they formed some sexual assault. I'm going to hope just as like a good person, you know, like that there's some good people here that did nothing and yeah. somehow didn't know anything. There, and there are bands that are on the label that weren't listed. Right. So stuff, I so. hope. I hope that like if they get, you know, pulled from streaming services that like 
they can find some way to recover. Although I will add, he goes, I hate dealing with lawyers. So we should never sign contracts with bands. Uh, maybe <laughs> this saves some people out of some really bad deals oh, where there was no yeah. contracts. You I know? mean, probably for sure. But at the same time, if your label is saying no contracts, then anything says kind of goes. And then if you end up in a courtroom later, you know, or arbitration or something, trying to solve some sort of contract or not contract, not a contract dispute, but some sort of streaming or, or payment dispute. You have no gets, evidence. It gets real messy. Right. So, um, you know, get everything in writing. Everything needs to be in writing. So like, yeah, I mean this, the, yeah, this is just awful. I, you know, obviously definitely go read the victim statements. If you want to see even like even more depth other than, you know, Joey's long thing about it. Like, it's definitely, you know, this label was just allowing this to happen. I mean, and it's not necessarily like there's a statement that says that, but like the amount is just too much it's, for this not to, you know, be just like a random occurrence. Yeah, it's, they were either, it's mountains of... They're of either statements. providing the opportunity and encouraging it or just turning a blind eye and both are wrong, yeah. you know? And so that's kind of what it's so bad you know and there's no rebrand that's going to save this label and probably shouldn't because it just needs to be torn it down it needs to die yeah it just needs but, to die um i will say that i'm interested to see what the co-founders do if they try to bounce back into the scene um or if they're going to you know get pushed out by it a would lot be of yeah community. it would be interesting i mean this one guy who gave our porky pig comment uh you know dude i said I, I could not believe i had to double take that when i was reading it yeah i mean it says he's decided to fold the label so i'm guessing that what he means is that he's just gonna they're gonna get out and get rid of all their assets and yeah. you know maybe prep for whatever or multiple lawsuits that are gonna come probably towards them because if there's one thing you know i mean they're gonna go after if, especially, I mean, if you're just a lawyer or something like that, and you know, there's something of this nature you're going after the band, you're going after the band's record label, you're going after everyone that could have been even involved with this occurrence happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, I, you know, it's going to be very hard. I, I'm sure, I'm sure there's probably going to be some more evidence that comes out more from the label side that either has a showing of like how they were negligent in terms of ignoring it or even fostering it. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's definitely, I, I think it's, personally it's still developing. We're going to have to see what happens in terms of if lawyers get involved and stuff like that. But. I think personally that they're going to liquidate most of their assets. If they have contracts, uh, they probably will just try to either, get as much assets out of those contracts as they can in terms of like records they have or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Try to sell them. Can you and imagine being the one artist that had a contract with them? <laughs> that's the thing like, I don't know sad. about this statement is like, and I don't, you're trying to get out and you're like freak. <laughs> well, that's the thing I'm talking about is like, he goes, I hate dealing with lawyers. So we never sign contracts with bands. I don't know. I don't even know if you could do that. Like, I, I don't know if that's true deals. to an extent. Yeah. You know, I would not be surprised if they just are like, yeah, just sign this real quick. You know, don't worry about it. Just sign it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, Which is even worse. Right. So make sure you read your contracts. But So, yeah, I just, there's nothing, there's nothing you can do. You can't do, all, you know, 
a women imprint label called Burger. Uh, God, that's so bad. Like Burger, I, burger you know. Rex. Yeah, it's just not going to work With out. Burger. Um, I hope that Burgirl, this. I hope really? that this uh, lady who they named the like interim label president, who is clearly, I hope that she, you know, didn't. Like, uh, like in her statement says she has nothing to do with it and that these people just tried to screw her over and they go, okay, good luck, you know, <laughs> because that's kind of what it looks like they were trying to well, do. It seemed from an outsider's perspective, this might not be the case. Um, it seemed like she was from a different label. Like it, she wasn't really under them but and they, they wanted to put a female at, at the front of the label while this transition was going on to as a PR move. Uh, it seemed like. Um, while they were doing all this rebranding and stuff, they were going to try to do, but I mean, with, with the backlash, I, I think, I think the second wave of backlash was even worse than the first. Yeah. Like, because people were just like, dude, this isn't, you're not, you're not solving anything. You're yeah. Not I hope, I hope that they can, at least the victims of this have some form of legal ramifications in terms of criminal or yeah i mean some of them and they're not beyond you know a statute of limitation or anything like that so some of these stories i mean they could potentially you know some of these people could get jail time right you know with with in terms of statutory rape a lot of them so yeah i mean what happens but uh i yeah it's it's just gonna be it's gonna be an all-out battle legally and all that kind of stuff for the victims uh for the record label and for the bands mm-hmm. i mean they, that's that's what you see all the time in here where it's like we can't give the statement like this drummer in here uh scott montoya of the growlers he goes he's not allowed to publicly discuss this time with the band that means he's talking with the, some lawyers to try to defend himself yeah um and so like the, that's where you keep someone seeing signed that. an nda or someone signed an nda and he did something wrong before and he got them to sign an nda yeah, you know, or something. Yeah, something or he, like that. They got him to sign an NDA. So it's you know I I don't think again I don't think this label's coming back as they shouldn't. Definitely breeding ground of a lot of terrible things, abusing women and stuff like that. Um, well, and and we need to talk more about this as an industry. Like this isn't just one label. Right, this happens all the time. You're seeing you're seeing you know the power of literally having power and fandom in effect where people you know have a power imbalance in a situation and they go you know oh you like me as a band so much then you you know i get to assault you which is not correct at all you know it's not right or anything and so that's what they're doing and uh like you were talking about with indie stuff i mean there is a lot of hypocrisy i think in some parts of music where they seem very progressive, you know, very about women's rights and stuff like that. And then you get this kind of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. that comes out. Obviously I'm not speaking for the entire indie label, but like any indie like genre. genre, but like in terms of like how the genre is kind of seen in like, you know, an outsider's aud- pr- yeah. or even a fan perspective from a fan perspective or an outside perspective. Well, it's like, this still happens. I will say, um, especially indie rock, uh, in stuff like not only, you know, does th- these problems exist that people sometimes turn a blind eye to, but, um, also the lack of diversity within a lot of these bands, uh, radio play with bands that do have diversity, um, even touring problems and stuff like that and how they treat, you know, their fans and stuff. And it's, it's 
you know, just because they act woke doesn't necessarily they are, you know, doesn't necessarily mean they are. So being vigilant of this when you're in the industry and calling it out is so important. Mm -hmm. Like whoever made this Instagram account did a tremendous job. Um, I also don't think the Instagram account was was like pitchforks style. It was let's get the evidence together and get the statements together before, you know, let's get let's get our ducks in a row. Yeah. You know, it's not like your standard necessarily, I guess, cancel culture where it's like full force. Right. They seem to really like, you know, I mean, these people, these people were severely hurt and they seem to be smart in terms of knowing how the legal system and society works of, you know, the more evidence you can get before you start throwing stuff, the better. Yeah. And so that's, you know, yeah, it's just a really terrible situation. I feel very, you know, saddened by the victims and stuff. And I hope that, you know, they can either get some form of civil or criminal action towards the people that hurt them. And I mean, the label, I think the label has a shot of being in that crossfire, you know, even if there isn't a statement that shows directly that they promoted it, I'm sure they're going to be named in at least civil lawsuits. Yeah. So, all right. Um, so Joe, what have you been listening to? Who I've been listening to a lot of stuff. Um, I've been listening to that new, uh, uh, is it Biba Doobie? Yeah. Biba Doobie. Biba Doobie. Yeah. Um, single. Uh, that's been amazing, which I think uh, we might actually name, at least I want to name it, uh, our song of the week. Um, it's really good. I highly suggest people listen to it. Uh, I've also been going back in time a little bit and listening to LCD Sound System a lot, which you've I've made you listen to it like a million times. Mm-hmm. Um because I don't know, there's just something about I love, you know, the layers of of uh, the tracks and stuff where in those long songs, but the payoff is so worth it, you know, at the end of those songs. Uh, plus, I mean, um, their their songwriting level uh, is unparalleled to a lot of bands during that time. So, yeah. Uh, but what about you? Uh, I've been on a David Lee Roth kick, but specifically the solo stuff, not Van Halen. <laughs> Um, yeah, we used to listen, I was listening to it all the time at work and then I got back into it since I've been working out all of it's upbeat and stuff. I really like, uh, his like first EP, which is like right after Van Halen, uh, which you don't know, Van Halen has just had, always had a crazy, always bands members switching out, especially David Lee Roth. They had a whole thing about him getting out of that band and stuff like that. So he went and in 1985 made, uh, his first EP, which is called Crazy from the Heart, which is four songs and like three of them are covers, but they're like just kind of, I don't know. It just always reminds me of like kind of like a fuck you to the band to show how good he is. Yeah. And so, you know, instead you get, uh, you get just like a lot of like almost David Lee Roth stuff, but you also get more of like that kind of like showing his range. Cause he does like some crooner stuff. He does all that kind of stuff. Um, let's listen to that. I got into doggy style by Snoop Dogg again, just because I was feeling it 
um, for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. I, I we talked about 2001 last week, and I was like, I should listen to some Snoop Dogg to round it out because he's definitely a very important part of Dr. Dre. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also been listening to some Logic since he retired, but I only really like like one or two songs. I like All I Do, which is from his young Sinatra album from like a mixtape. And I, yeah, really his, to... his mixtapes are better than his albums. Yeah. That's kind of how and I kind of feel. A lot of the beats are kind of taken from other rap songs. Yeah. So most of the little... people that I knew that listened to logic, like I was talking to my buddy, Andy, um, and he was like, really, he really liked logic in the beginning. And he's like holding out that this last record, cause supposedly the one he's going to release in like two days is going to sound like more like the original kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are holding out to see if that's going to, you know, sound like what people really want logic to sound like. So, yeah. Uh, correction. It was Baba Doobie. Oh, Baba Doobie. Yeah. She's really good. She's from the UK. So <laughs> Baba Doobie. Let's have another, let's have another uh, British invasion. I'm into it. <laughs> Uh, All right. well, well, I mean, they don't want to invade here because they already have the travel. Yeah, that's game. true. I guess it'll be the American invasion. <laughs> no, that's true. Well, that's showbiz, baby. <laughs> Thanks for listening to That Showbiz Baby Podcast, your all things music, business, and media podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Showbiz Baby Pod, Facebook at That Showbiz Baby Podcast, Instagram at That Showbiz Baby Podcast, and email That Showbiz Baby Podcast at gmail.com with all your questions, concerns, and everything that and the other. Uh, please follow socials for some more updates about when episodes are coming out uh, featured uh, new topics of episodes this that and the other uh, we also would appreciate if you would give us a rating on whatever streaming service you're listening to if they have ratings five stars five chickens whatever uh, thanks for listening